A very merry Christmas community church. Thrilled that you have joined us here today for our Christmas Eve services. And I want to give a huge welcome and a happy Christmas to everyone in St. John's and in Alma and in Mount Pleasant and to everyone joining us online. I trust today that you are expectant that God is going to speak into your life right now, this Christmas Eve, that God has something that he wants to share with you. And it has a whole lot to do with his great love for you this Christmas. Here's what I would like to do uh, this Christmas Eve. Uh, I want to tell you um, a story. But it is the story before the story. And what I mean by that is um, there is a story that takes place prior to the Christmas story. And I want to share a little bit of that. And then I want to lead us into the Christmas story. In a very real sense... This is the story that perhaps many people don't know about that brings us to the story that many people do know about. So here's how it starts. We're going to go back actually a few hundred years prior to the Christmas story. So come back with me a little bit and we'll launch into the story before the story. The people of God, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, um, they had gone through a season of time where they had just forgotten about God. They had become rebellious towards God, um, and they had become defiant and uh, stuck in their ways and obstinate towards God. And so God does what he always does, because he's so loving and so gracious, he sends in powerful messengers. And so over the course of quite a period of time, we see God sending in just courageous prophets after prophets coming with a courageous message from God, helping God's people know that they're going down the wrong road and that they need to turn aside and turn away from the path that they're on and that God has blessings and mercy and grace for them, but they're going in the wrong direction. He was laying out through these prophets that, man, the things that you're doing, the actions that you're taking, they're going to come with consequences, the consequences of your own actions, and you need to be careful. And God is saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow my laws. I have a way of life that is filled with freedom and, and life for you, but they are refusing to do that. And so what happens? Well, history records for us that for the nation of Israel, hundreds of years prior to the Christmas story, they fail to listen to God, and despite God laying out the consequences of their own actions, eventually those consequences of their own actions kick in for the nation of Israel, and we see God's judgment brought to bear over the nation of Israel, and it is very severe. What happens is there is an empire, Babylon, they come in and they sweep out the nation of Israel in its entirety. It is a massive consequence. The nation of Israel and all of their people are removed from their home country and their territory, and they are brought out <clears throat> to Babylon where they are a lost people. They are an exiled people, and there is such a sense of loss of their culture and their national identity and their ability to worship God. They are removed from Jerusalem and the temple and the sacrificial system. Everything seems to fall apart from them. Their way of life becomes, quite simply, broken. Well, time goes by, and after years, deliverance comes for the nation of Israel, who are now in Babylon, in a way that's very unexpected. 
Over the course of time, what we see is another empire rises up, and it is the Persian Empire, and they defeat the Babylonian Empire. And eventually, they look at all these, these Hebrew slaves, and they go, you know what? You guys can go back to your homeland. Go ahead, and you guys can migrate back to your homeland, and you can begin to rebuild your way of life and your temple, and you can begin to have hope and uh, ambitions, and you can worship your God uh, once again. So go ahead and do that. This is a day of great joy. In trying to rebuild their lives, the nation of Israel returned to their home country, and they're trying to learn the hard lesson. Man, we made such a mistake. This went so wrong for us. The consequences were massive for years. How can we not make that mistake again? And so they looked at the law. They said, well, we we ignored the law. We thought it was a nuisance. We better not do that again. We better pay attention to what God has called us to do. So, in fact, they had to be very precise. They had 613 laws. They wanted to make absolutely sure that what happened to them in the past would never, ever happen again. And so they said, man, we better pay attention to the law to such a degree that what happened to the nation of Israel is, in a way, they elevated the law to a point where they became obsessed with the law. And I mean that in the most unhealthy way. They made rules upon rules about following God so that they'd never get into trouble again. They're like, we don't want a repeat of that. They thought to them, surely, they thought to themselves, surely if we behave and if we double down on all of our do's and don'ts, then surely God will be happy with us. Can you relate to that? I think there's a ton of us that can relate to that. Surely if I behave myself, then God will be happy with me. Maybe you've lived like that too. So they took their laws And what they did is they began to glorify rules. They began to glorify the law. And they expanded upon the law. And they studied and scrutinized the law. And then they they multiplied the law. And then they just took their rules and they just said, we're just going to heap more rules on top of our rules. This will become our way and our national culture. We're going to take laws and we're going to put laws on top of our laws. And then Not only that, we're going to enforce those laws in our country. That's going to be a requirement that we place on everybody. And it became this burden that God never intended for them to bear. Because it was a burden that nobody could carry. It was impossible. There was so much, such a depth to their rules, so much minutia, that it seemed that the laws themselves became God instead of God. And now all of a sudden for the nation of of Israel, like for you to be a person who was like, well, I'm a rule keeper, or even better, I'm a guardian of the rules. I make sure that other people obey the rules. Man, people went about their lives like that, and that was looked upon as like a badge of honor. It became out of control. And it just became over the top, showing off, insane level of overcomplicated rituals and festivals and rule keeping and clothes that had to look a certain way and look at me doing all these things right and it was just ceremony and liturgy on steroids it was worship at least it was supposed to be worship of God but what happened to it 
was it became so ornate that people would try to engage in these rules and in this worship of God, but they were no longer worshiping God. They were just trying to impress other people. Look at me doing the right thing. Look at me being a good little boy and a good little girl. And what God conveys very clearly in the Old Testament is that this became out of control. And God eventually says, look, I'm not impressed by any of that. It's disingenuous. It's a charade. It's not what I've asked of you at all. God clearly lays out, actually, what I want is you. What I want is your heart. God's not trying to impress anybody. He's perfectly comfortable being himself. But of course, even as I laid that out, things are never that clean cut. It's not like 100% of the population were on that page. Don't get me wrong, the majority of the population looked to laws and rule keeping. But there were many people in the nation who became jaded with that. People who had overdosed on appearances and laws and other people, they looked at that and they said, I actually don't want to be a part of that. And so do you remember those generations prior that had ignored the law and had reaped horrible consequences by being swept up by the Babylonian Empire? There were a whole gang of people in the nation of Israel, and they said, look, we're not doing the law thing. We're going to mimic our forefathers who were just rebellious against God. There's a whole group of people who said yes to that. And they abandoned rule keeping because they looked at it and they said, it's impossible. That's not a life. That's, that's too much of a, of a burden to bear. I'm not interested in that. In fact, all of that ceremony and ritual and impressing other people and pretending to worship God and the minutia of rule keeping, if that's what following God looks like, I don't want it. Uh, you can keep it. If that's God, I don't want God. And they did what I think so many people did. Instead, they turned to self. I'm going to please God. I'm going to please self. I'm going to look at what my preferences are. They do what I think so many of us have done. I think I have done this in my own life. They went their own way. Forget the rules. Forget the law. Look, I'm just going to go through my life. I'm going to make a bit of money, and I'm going to enjoy the ride. I think that actually describes most people that I know today. And once again, what does God do? He is so unbelievably gracious, because it's a pretty messy story. It's a pretty messy situation. What does God do? Once again, he sends in these courageous messengers. He sends in prophets after prophets. These are wild men, courageous men, shepherds calling home wicked prodigal sons and daughters because God has good news. He's offering mercy and grace and a different way of living their life. And even though that's a hard message oftentimes that the prophets gave, it's not like God's going to say, well, I'm not going to share that even though it's hard because it's what they need to hear and if they will listen to me, it will come good for them. So I'm going to say what they need to hear. So what I want to share with you right now is the very last prophet. It's the last words from the last prophet in the last book of the Old Testament that brings us right up to the Christmas story. This is the story before the story. Listen to these words from Malachi chapter 3. These words are hard and they are heavy, 
but they are also filled with hope and they certainly show you that God has a plan. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That's heavy. But look at the hope. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This is the last words of the last prophet in the last book of the Old Testament. And this prophet is talking about another prophet who will come and he's calling him Elijah. Well, who's Elijah? Well, Elijah is a prophet from the Old Testament that has actually has already come and gone. Elijah has lived his life and is no longer on the planet Earth. Elijah is a reference to the greatest of all prophets. And so what God is signaling through the prophet Malachi is that there will come actually an even greater prophet who is yet to come. There will come one more great prophet. And of course, this is signaling towards somebody by the name of John. Or he was also known as John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets. Another wild man with a radical and wild message. So we have prophets, look at a church for centuries now, who have been speaking and talking and prophesying and pleading and preaching and begging and warning, showing the nation of Israel the heart of God. So many words, so many prophecies. And I think they're blue in the face to the point perhaps where they lost their voices. Church, that is the story before the Christmas story. A people who would not heed the voice of God until God said, okay, I will stop speaking to you. That's the story before the Christmas story. In fact, if you can fathom this for the first time ever, it's God not speaking and it lasts for 400 years. Silence. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that with a friend or a loved one? Where tensions get so high, and somebody slams the door and walks away, and you're left standing there in silence. Do you know how that feels? It's not a nice thing. Because silence actually speaks volumes. Somehow, silence is loud and clear. It's like standing in utter darkness. Silence from a loved one can be so painful because there's just not much that you can do about it. And you know in your heart of hearts, things are not well between us. And when that's coming from God, that's unbearable. Where is God? 400 years of people asking, but where is God? And time marches on. Without God, it would seem. And so we do what we do best. We look to ourselves. And we see over the course of time that cruel empires come and go, 
until finally it is Rome that makes its footprint known upon the world with their crosses and their taxes and their thumbs on the backs of everybody's neck. But none of that, as bad as it was, was worse than the silence of God. People living their lives and then dying in their rebellion and in their rule-keeping, but all the while they're just experiencing silence from God. Now, we get to the Christmas story. That's the story before the story. And at first, it's just a whisper. That's all it is. It's some dreams and visions. And it's not yet even God's own voice. He's dispatching an angel or two. And the message that they're whispering is so absurd that it's only given to maybe two or three people. Hey, Zechariah, your son, John, he's going to make a way because somebody's coming. <laughs> Another angel is dispatched to a lone teenage girl, Mary. I just whispered don't be afraid. You're going to bear a son. Another angel is dispatched. An honorable young man just trying to do the right thing. Joseph, don't be afraid. I want you to take Mary home and I want you to call him. <laughs> and here's where we hear this name. I want you to call him Jesus. That's it. Two Maybe three people. It's not even the voice of God. None of that, as amazing as that is, compares to what is about to happen, to what is about to come, because it would not merely be the voice of a prophet, and praise God for those prophets. It would not merely be the voice of angels of light, and praise God for those angels that God dispatched. Not even close. Now, in the context of a census, in the context of Herod's coming genocide, these are dark times, in this empty, dark pit that just felt like you were experientially living through the absence of God. This soundless, sightless vacuum of God's inactivity is shattered because for the first time in 400 years, God speaks. And it is the cry of a baby. This is the Christmas story. In the city of David, the piercing sound of a newborn child in a cave for animals. The silence is broken by God by the most vulnerable sound you can think of, the sound of a crying infant. God is doing something new. And it is so profound, so supernatural, so unthinkable, there now arises in the sky this choir, this army of angels of light proclaiming and pronouncing and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom their favor, his favor rests. Who are these angels singing to? 
Honestly, it's the dregs of society. I'm not even joking you. And I actually love God's choice. He chose to send this angel of army to shepherds. Church, they are what would be known as just filthy, nomadic shepherds in that culture. Honestly, they're pretty close to being the scum of society. They are pretty close to the bottom of the barrel. It's the job that nobody wanted. It's the midnight shift that nobody wanted. God's voice is multiplying as these shepherds, now they themselves, they open their mouths to anyone who would listen. World, hope is not lost. No more silence. Hope is finally here. God is with us. The cross hasn't taken place yet. He hasn't fed the 5,000. He hasn't healed lepers. He has not yet shed his blood, and the curtain of the temple has not yet been torn in two. Much more is yet to come. But today, we hear the voice of a crying baby. And this is God's plan. This is Jesus Christ. This is God in the flesh. This is God breaking 400 years of silence to come to an obstinate, broken, rebellious, religious people. And I'm not talking about the nation of Israel anymore. I'm talking about me, and I'm talking about you. And with his own vocal cords, Jesus grows up, and he opens his mouth, and he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is here. That's for you. That's for you this Christmas. That's for everyone that you know and everyone that you will ever know. The most unlikely voice that speaks till, still to this day, whether you know this or not, looks at you and says, I know everything about you and I love you. And I came at such a, such a great distance and at such a great cost just for you. And of all of the things that you've been chasing or being distracted by, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. You think that your mistakes are so bad that they will keep us apart forever. You and your mistakes are not that strong. You think that your rule keeping and all of your do's and don'ts and all of the lists that you try to keep perfectly, I'm telling you right now, that will never be enough. You see, I'm not afraid of the mistakes that you've made or how insurmountable that you think they are. I've got that. And all of your efforts to be good little boys and girls, to look the part or to impress people or to win me over, you need to know that all of that is actually inadequate. And what you think is insurmountable or what you think is inadequate will be met by my son, Jesus Christ. Think about it. I came from heaven to earth. I know what I'm doing. Forget your medals of honor and forget your walks of shame. Instead of that, I want you to experience something else, something new this Christmas. My love for you. I want you to see the lengths that I have gone for you. Jesus, then why did you come into this world? John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why did you come into the world? 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This Christmas, I want you to see the dire state of your own sin. Would you at least be honest about it? Honest with yourself. Honest with God. This Christmas, I want you to see the invitation of acceptance and love. I want you to hear the cry of a child breaking 400 years of silence. I want you to hear the call to repentance and confession. That's not just to make you feel bad. It's to bring you to forgiveness. And it really is the greatest gift of all. Calling you to lay down your life to follow Him. That really is the greatest life of all. A life lived not for you. A life lived for Him because He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to welcome you home. Church, would you pray with me now? Holy Spirit, would you come and convict me now of my true condition before you? Break my heart with a godly sorrow for all the ways that I've turned from you. I ask you to forgive me and to make me new. God, I believe in you and I trust you and I will follow you and I will live for you. In fact, I will give you my very life. This very day, I confess you as my God and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.